Uh, turn in your Bible, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at, uh, at the last few verses. We're not in the final section, but the next to the last section of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been in for uh, now almost uh, for 15 weeks. So um, just been a, a joy to look at Jesus' longest sermon and see what he's teaching us there. So turn to Matthew 7. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but last year, for the first time in my life, I missed a flight. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was running a little bit late. I was super exhausted. Uh, the security line was a little extra long. And then when I got to the gate, it was about 20 minutes before the flight uh, took off. And I immediately felt relief because the entire seating area was full of people. And I was like, whew, okay, I made it. I looked up, no, no, nothing on the, the display, just the flight information, um, no announcements being made. I did notice that the, the door to the jetway was open, but I just figured they were getting ready to start loading. Uh, so I just sat down and looked at my phone and looked at Twitter. And, you know, a few minutes later, I just happened to glance up and they had shut the door and uh, I ran up to the counter really quickly and found out that, um, <laughs> indeed, they had already loaded the flight super early, really on the early side. And um, all these people were here for the next flight, which was in 90 minutes, and fortunately to the exact same city. So I, uh, <laughs> I was able to get on that flight, thankfully. But uh, I just literally sat there thinking I was okay, but totally missed uh, the flight. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been laying out this, this picture of what it means to live under Jesus as a king. And what he's doing in these last few verses of, of chapter 7 in the sermon is to make sure we don't miss that. That we don't think, I'm okay, things are good, I'm, I'm, I'm all right, and then end up missing the kingdom of God. Uh, today, he lays out a really sobering reality that not everyone who says to him on that judgment day, uh, when the end comes and we stand before him, and not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's a sobering, sobering reality for us all. So uh, listen to what Jesus says, Matthew seven twenty one through 23. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. I've tuned in uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, and um, this sounds like a really Christmassy sermon, Blaine. I'm, I'm glad that you're going to be addressing this. Uh, it's, it's, you know, on my front burner. Um, <laughs> I know, you're like, could there be a less kind of Christmassy sermon? But, but I want to argue something. What is Christmas ultimately about? Christmas ultimately about is about Jesus coming into this world, living a sinless life, dying on the cross in our place, uh, and rising from the grave so we can have eternal life. Not so we can be deceived into thinking we have it, but actually have it. So Jesus really cares that we, we don't miss it. And how, how sad is it for the people, really, I mean, who Jesus is talking about here, who are, who are so close, who, who literally are sitting at the airport, at the gate, waiting, thinking they're okay, but, but missed the flight. You see, Jesus really 
cares? The cross uh, of Christ broke through the, the darkness and sin and brokenness and death in this world to give us real life. How bad would it be if Jesus looked at us and said, you know what, I just want you to have some warm fuzzies this Christmas. I want you to just, you know, kind of feel good this Christmas. No, he wants you to feel good, but he wants you to feel good for the right reasons. You see, Christmas is not about friends, family, presents, uh, or, or even warm fuzzies. It's about the redemption of mankind from the power of sin and death. And Jesus wants to make sure you and I don't miss that. Even, uh, and, and especially if we think we have it, but don't. So the big idea today is a confession of faith in Jesus is only real when an inward encounter with Jesus inspires an outward behavior for Jesus. So real life only happens when we've encountered him internally. We know Jesus, Jesus knows us, and then that spills over into how we live for him in this world. Two ideas today. We can, first, we have the ability to deceive ourselves, but not Jesus. And then secondly, our profession of faith in Jesus is real, only if marked by obedience to Jesus. So let's look at the first one. We can deceive ourselves, but we can't deceive Jesus. I don't know, it's, it's maybe one of the most um, observable facts about human beings, right? We have an incredible ability to deceive ourselves. We do. We, we can deceive ourselves in many, many ways. You know, I think back to, um, you know, I had to actually check to see if it was still on, but, but American Idol, right? We, we have heard of that show. Some of us grew up watching it uh, a lot. You know, it's been on for, you know, I don't know, 25 years or on like, you know, season 67 now or whatever. But, you know, the interesting thing is when, when I used to watch it early on, they, you know, they would have these uh, auditions. I enjoyed the auditions. They would go to these different cities and they'd bring in people and man, they'd tell their story and then they would get up and they would sing like angels, right? And you would just be like, wow, they're amazing. And then they would have people get up who thought they sung like angels, but sounded more like demons being strangled to death. Um, I mean, it was bad, right? Right? You remember these? If you ever watched these, um, you, you'd see a person come in often very confident. Often, oh, I'm just so glad I could be here. I, I think I'm going to really enjoy being on the show. You know, I've I've sung and, and people have affirmed me so many times, and I I just want to bless you with my voice now. And they start singing, and it's not that they're off; it's that they are so far off. They're not close. They're they're really really bad. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, they're so bad. There was, there was actually a guy who, who made an entire uh, you know, musical career off of it, William Hung, right? Some of you may remember, he was in the first season or two, uh, produced an entire album of terrible music that he sang. Uh, and it was, it was comedy is what it was. It was humorous. But, but what's sad is you watch that person who, oh, you know, I, I'm sorry, my voice, I'm, I was kind of cold outside and I came inside or I have a little bit of a cold or, you know, my throat was dry. Let me try again. Let me try again. And, you know, the, the, the judges are like, no, no, we've heard enough. And they're like, no, no, you, you don't understand. I'm really great. <laughs> and they leave the stage, right? And, it, and it's, you're like, man, these people are deceived, so deeply deceived. And, and it points to the fact that you and I have the ability to deceive ourselves. We do. Um, and he, Jesus loves us way too much not to draw attention to this. The implications couldn't be bigger, Right? What does he say? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, the repeating of that phrase is for emphasis. Like, Lord, Lord, right? 
you know, when your, when your mom called your name twice, it meant she was really trying to get your attention. So, Lord, Lord, uh, is, is this person pleading with God? They're like, oh, you're my Lord, right? And he, what does he say? It says, um, and then the next verse, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So these people were were faithful, in a sense, religious workers. They were people doing religious activities. They'd accomplished things in Jesus' name and, and cited these things as proof that, in fact, they were Christians. It's interesting to note that all the activities that they cited were outward visible activities of which uh, these, these charismatic activities that other people would give them credit for, Right? You know, when, when, when you perform a miracle and people see it, when you cast out a demon, people see it. When you prophesy and people see it, like they now, you know, there's a little bit of, of um, accolades there. And, and of course, if you go back and you read this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what Jesus is referring to. People who were doing things for outward recognition, but inside were far from him. They were basically saying, look, Jesus, look at what I did. In your name, certainly that's enough. Certainly that's enough for me to be uh, brought into your family forever. They missed, unfortunately, their need for grace. One pastor from last century said, grace will bring a man to heaven without working miracles, but working miracles will never bring a man to heaven without grace. So we all need grace. And these people missed it. And Jesus says to them, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, now, how hard is that? Depart from me, I never knew you. These are people that knew enough about Jesus to, to, to do things in his name, right? But he says, I never knew you. And it wasn't that Jesus didn't know of them, right? But this is not the word no, like, like information. This is no as in personal. And Jesus says, you know, in, in the book of John, that the, the shepherd, the good shepherd knows his sheep. And the sheep know the good shepherd's voice. The word to know is, a, is, a, is an intimate to know. It's used of marriage. This is, this is way beyond knowing about, and it's knowing personally. It's having experiential knowledge. I know a lot of facts, for example, about Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell was born July 16, 1967. Uh, he and I are roughly the same height. Uh, he's been married about 20 years. He has three kids. He got his start on a Saturday Night Live uh, where he did what I think to this day is probably the greatest impression of George W. Bush that's been done. Um, I know that he stars in uh, my favorite Christmas movie and probably the best Christmas movie, Elf. Um, you know, I know that a few years ago, uh, he said hi to me, asked me how I was doing as he walked by me at Fenway Park, and that that was probably the highlight of his entire trip to Boston, uh, was getting to meet me briefly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, what's funny is I, I know about Will Ferrell, but I don't know Will Ferrell. I know Teresa, my wife. That knowledge is not just mere information. I can cite lots of information about it. So it's not not knowing information. It goes that that information is part of an experience of that person, actual real life experience. And so Jesus is saying, I never knew you in the sense of we don't have a relationship, meaning you don't know me and I don't know you. 
Jesus is a king and he knows his subjects. Therefore, um, if, if Jesus, King Jesus doesn't know you, then you aren't one of his subjects, right? So how do you know if Jesus knows you? How do you know if, if, if Jesus would say, no, I know you, you know me, I am your, the good shepherd and you know my voice. Um, well, that's, that's part of the idea. You, Jesus, Jesus knowing you is part of you knowing Jesus. It's experiential, right? This is, he's saying, I have a relationship with you. And so do you know Jesus? Do you know him personally? Have you experienced grace? Have you experienced his presence? Have you, do, you, do you know Jesus in your family? Do you know Jesus in your workplace? Do you know Jesus as you think about your future? Do you know Jesus as you're quiet and still to yourself? Now, that does not mean 24-7 do you have this constant, relentless, unfading, undiminished sense of Jesus in your life. No. Like that's, that's, that's not even biblical. But the sense is, do you have life experience with Jesus? And not just like one off 10 years ago, but do you know Jesus? Have you experienced him in 2020? Even through the hard times, have there been moments where you've experienced him in, in, in your community group, in God's word, in your workplace, as you, as you saw God do something? Have you experienced, do you know him? Because to those who don't know him, he says the most painful words that I think will ever be said to any human beings. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people, I think that's so staggering because of how close these people were in a sense, right? So that these people are not atheists. They weren't agnostics. These aren't people that don't care about Christianity or don't care about God or don't care about Jesus. These are people, listen, who are, who are either sitting in a church this morning somewhere or watching a live feed. There are people who own a Bible, probably look at it some. These are people who would outwardly appear to be Christians, but inwardly they don't know Christ. They're inwardly, their heart is full of sin and there's no freedom from it. There's no forgiveness for it. They just happen to have, as, 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 as the Sermon on the Mount addresses, secret sins that aren't, aren't necessarily public. So we can deceive ourselves, but we can't deceive Jesus. The second idea Jesus wants us to see here is our faith in Jesus uh, is real only if it is marked by obedience to Jesus. So our faith in Jesus is real only if it's marked by obedience to Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says something really important. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. What does this mean? The one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Well, you know, uh, first I want to address the question of Lord, right? Because maybe Romans 10, 9 came to your mind. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Right? So you're thinking, those people said, Lord, Lord, do they not, is, is Romans 10 lying? But what Romans 10 does that, that connects, that goes beyond what those, those people did in professing Lord, Lord, is that Romans 10, 9 says that you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, victorious over death, meaning his life now, the life he has can become the life in you, that he can give you life. And so it goes beyond Lord, Lord, 
and goes to actual faith. You can say Jesus is king, but act like Jesus is not your king with your life. The will of the Father here, what does that mean? It's rooted in faith-filled, so not just faithful as in I, I do this well, but faith-filled. My faith root, uh, is, root, is rooted and, and shapes what's happening here, obedience. John uh, 6.29, Jesus uh, says to his followers, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he had, whom he has sent. And then John 6, verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is saying the work and the will of the Father is to believe on Jesus, to believe in Jesus. That's the, that is the big E on the I chart of, of salvation. There are no other items for salvation, right? That is the way we are saved. And so it is the will of God. And I can say that for you this Christmas without any shadow of a doubt. If you want to know what the will of God is for you this Christmas, it is to draw near to Christ by faith. It is to believe in Jesus. Do what you can to bolster your faith in Jesus. Do whatever you can to bolster and strengthen your faith in Jesus. That is the will of God for you this Christmas. Is there more to the will of God in the Christian life than that? Absolutely, there is. Just like the will of, the, uh, of adoptive parents goes way beyond the actual adoption ceremony and legal process and the signing of the paperwork and the declaration by a judge, right? The, the, the will of an adoptive parent is not that event. That's not the ultimate purpose to, to legally adopt children, a child. It is to bring that child into their family that they might experience life there, Right? So Jesus's death and resurrection, believing in Jesus is that, that, that first step. So then we would experience the fullness of life that comes in Jesus. The problem is these people were trying to pretend they were living in Jesus, but had never been adopted into God's family by Jesus. For the Christian, the gospel is the means of how we can know God and live his will out in this world. And that at the heart of the gospel uh, is, is, is faith, but good works then flow out of that faith, are not a sub- but not a substitute for it. The problem with these people is that they were looking at good works, right? I mean, these are works the New Testament would hold up, and they're saying, look, that's the evidence there that I actually am a Christian. But it's like... Um, it's like apple picking. I don't know if anybody got to go this year. Um, maybe not because of COVID, but if you've ever been in the past and you, you walk up and, and you see this, this, uh, the, this tree and there's beautiful, large red apples and very lush green leaves on this tree, it would never occur to you, look, these apples and the, these leaves have made this tree healthy. No. Quite the opposite. You'd look at the tree and go, look what this healthy tree has then produced. And the problem is that, that these people were trying to, to staple fruit onto a sick tree. Saying, look, look what we did, Jesus. When in fact, they were still living in sin. Paul sheds light on this in Ephesians 2. 
Now listen to the relationship of works. This, is, this describes it better than maybe any passage in the entire Bible. Listen to the way Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Listen to the relationship of works. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not uh, your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you're not saved through works. There's no fruit you can point to to say, look, I'm saved because of that. For then see how works come out. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace right? Grace, then faith, and then out of that good works flow. God has ordained these for us. And if you are trying to live in good works right now, if you were, trying, if, if you were to stand before Jesus and he were to, 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 to say, well, why should I let you into heaven? If your first response is, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I gave. I, I, I pray. I, I, you know, I try to do these good things. You are missing it. You're missing it. You're missing the gospel because the gospel is not what you do to meet God. It's what God has done to meet you. And he is the one who has come down, who, has, who was born a helpless baby into this world, lived a life, a, a, a human life, just like we experience, tempted experienced tiredness, right? Was betrayed by friends. He experienced all of that, died on the cross, rose from the grave on our behalf. So then we can believe in him, believe the good news of the gospel and experience eternal life out of that. We are truly deceiving ourselves if we look at the works in our lives and believe that those things somehow contribute to our salvation. No, in fact, any good work that we would have in our life should only be evidence of what Jesus has done in us. Because you know what? Apart from Jesus, I don't do good works. I only do works of selfishness. Apart from Jesus, I'm only prideful. Apart from Jesus, I want my way. Apart from Jesus, I'm not going to live my life trying to, trying to tell others about him. Apart from Jesus, I'm not going to want to spend time in his work. Apart from Jesus, there are no good works that are not ultimately rooted in sin. And that's the problem with these people. Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So in other words, while they were doing these good things out there, their heart was full of pride. Their heart was full of selfishness. Their heart was full of greed. Their heart was full of, of, of selfish ambition. All these sins that we, we, we can hide, that make us, that, that we can act respectable while we're full of them. And Jesus sees through it all. And so your works that you've done as a Christian, are they rooted in Christ? Are they rooted in, in, in the gospel and faith and what Jesus has done in you? Or do you ultimately feel like you do them somehow to, to make God like you more? Because if you do, then you're functioning out of your works and not out of grace. And these two go hand in hand. There is an expectation of obedience though, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If, if Jesus is your king, then you live in his kingdom and you follow the king. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So these two go hand in hand and you have no reason to boast in your faith if you have no obedience in your life because you've said, I don't care. 
I don't love you, Jesus, enough to obey you. I don't love you enough to pursue holiness. I don't love you enough to pursue your will. And on the flip side, without faith pointing to to works out here means you're still full of sin because you've not experienced forgiveness. D.A. Carson, maybe the greatest living New Testament theologian said, said this. He goes, it is true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience, but it is equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It is true that men are saved by grace through faith in Christ, but it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. Any other view of grace cheapens grace and turns it into something unrecognizable. Cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance, church membership without rigorous church discipline, discipleship without obedience, blessing without persecution, joy without righteousness, results without obedience. I know it can feel heavy, right? This, is, this text isn't, isn't meant to make, give you warm, fuzzy feelings, but it is Jesus trying to usher you into a deeper joy, into something more full, right? The, the most dangerous place, I'm convinced, in the world for a person in relation to, be, to Jesus is to be right outside of the kingdom, That's the most dangerous place because you can see it and maybe you sort of fake it and act like you're part of it, but you're not actually experiencing it. And Jesus is saying, like, don't live there. Come in. And the reason I know that this text is meant for joy and not to crush you or discourage you or disappoint you, that in fact, this Christmas, what Jesus is inviting you into is to a greater joy, greater experience of his love and his mercy and his grace in your life is because I have seen this. I have literally seen this text. God used this text. I was, uh, I was probably around 31, 32. I was pastoring my last church. Uh, I was in Kentucky, just outside of Louisville. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember uh, a guy that was there. He was in his mid, late 50s at that point. He, he would he'd sit over on the side about two-thirds of the way back. He'd grown up in this church. He and his wife were there probably two or three Sundays a month, sometimes every Sunday, sometimes half the Sundays, but probably, you know, average around 65% and 66% of the time they were there. Um, and, you know, he would, he'd sit and listen, he'd sing and he'd leave. And, uh, and, and it was interesting at the end of a sermon one Sunday, I'll never forget this. I wasn't even preaching on that text, but as I was wrapping things up, preparing to pray, um, God laid that text on my mind, this text from that I just shared. And, and I, and I shared that Jesus would say, uh, many on that day will say to, say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And they'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And, and it hit this guy. Like God used it in this man's life at that moment to awaken him. And like, I didn't even get to talk to him that day. He left, but like, you know, found out later, he like, he couldn't even talk to anyone leaving the service. He left real quickly. He had to go process what was happening. Um, And he came later and he was like, Jesus showed me that I was one of those people. I would say, hey, I I went to church every week or most weeks. You know, I gave money. I was a good guy. I was faithful in my marriage, you know, mostly. And so, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a good guy. And, Je- and he goes, I realized I was one of those people Jesus was going to cast out. And the beautiful thing is, this guy went all in with Jesus, with joy. 
He came to love Jesus dearly. He experienced his forgiveness. He repented. He, he dove into God's word. Uh, he, he dove into prayer, dove into the ministries of the church and, and became this incredibly fruitful disciple of Jesus so that today, today, this guy is a, is a lay preacher, goes and preaches in prisons and also now uh, uh, actually preaches in small churches and fills in for some pastors around the area. What an amazing thing to see someone who was sitting in a service one Sunday thinking they were okay, but were just outside of the kingdom. And watch, listen, watch the joy in this man's life today. I'm telling you, this text is not for your, to crush you this Christmas, but to bring you into deeper joy. So I gotta ask as we close, do you have assurance of your salvation? Or do you sense that you might be right outside of the kingdom? Because the invitation today is to come. I know you're like, well, I'm a wreck. Good, Jesus specializes in wrecks. Well, I, I got all these issues. Good, Jesus specializes in issues. Well, you don't understand. I've been faking it for a long time. Good, Jesus specializes in that. And you know what? You're like worried about what other people will think. You know what, how my church responded to that guy? He'd been in that church his entire life. But when God changed his life, you know how the church responded? Joy. There was joy for what Jesus was doing in his life. And there was joy that spilled over into the church and, and caused others to be more serious about their faith. So I say to you today, what's keeping you? What's keeping you from looking at Jesus, confessing your sin, turning away from it, and believing that he took your place on the cross? That's the invitation today. If you are a Christian, you know you're in the kingdom, but you've been wandering, don't let your heart wander like that. The invitation is to joy today. The invitation is to deeper intimacy today. The invitation is to know Christ your King and be known by Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that, that you said these hard words, not to be mean, not to exclude us, but to invite us in to usher us into a deeper joy in you. God, we need to hear it. We all need to be reminded that our hearts can be deceived. We can deceive ourselves. And I pray that each of us would look at our own heart today. And then we would look to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In your name we pray, amen.